You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. When it comes to the witness of the church, one of the greatest ways we can witness to the world is in the way that we care for and love them and care for and love one another. Our motives will be evident, and if they're less than pure, it'll be a turnoff at best and a detractor at worst. When we share the message of Jesus with others, is that all we do, or do we share our lives with them as well? Continuing our study of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, we see how Paul and his ministry partners loved this church and shared their lives with them. Paul modeled that for them and for us. There's a scene at the end of the Lord of the Final and the the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the return of the king where the, the four hobbits have, have been traveling all over Middle Earth and they've come back from this adventure which had danger, which had sadness, which had all these things. And, and they come to the pub in the Shire and they're hanging out, having beer with one another and, and they look at each other. It's one of those powerful moments where no words are really spoken, but but you know that there's so much that's being spoken underneath between glances. And there's that knowing in what they've experienced that everything that's kind of swirling around them and everyone who's surrounding them just doesn't have a clue. And maybe you've been there in life before where, where you feel like you've experienced something so deeply and you just want to shout to the people, those of us who are like crazy emotive people, like that's what we want to do. We, we want to just shout out and be like, do you not know what just happened? And yet the hobbits are there in this pub and, and they know that something has brought them together that, um, that others can't relate to because it's that experience before. And maybe you've had one of those experiences. Maybe you've had people in your life who you've connected with uh, in an almost immediate way that, um, you know, you may feel like you've known them forever, but you've actually only known them for a short period of time, but just the way that you come together, the, this kind of um, synergy that happens between you, that you just connect with them right away. You know, last week, we started off this series talking about the witness of the church and we began looking at Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica and I would encourage you to uh, to go and read Acts 17. Um, If you actually read through the book of Acts and and see you can see and hear a little bit more context of where some of these letters that Paul wrote, which are later in the New Testament, have come from. And in Acts 17, we kind of see this backstory of Paul's experience in in Thessalonica. He was only there, him and his ministry partners, in Macedonia for, for three Sabbaths, which Sabbath was the day of rest, the day that they went to the synagogue. And he spent those three Sabbaths at the synagogue connecting with people. And even though he was only there for that short period of time, we read in this letter that there was this connection that happened between Paul and his ministry partners and the church in Thessalonica that he felt so deeply about them. He cared for them. He loved them so deeply. We're going to read the entire of 1 Thessalonians 
2. It's a little bit longer, um, but I, I, it's worth it. To, so if you have a Bible, you can read along. I'm reading in the New International Version. That's what will be up on the screen as well. If you have an app, you can change versions if, it, if you're one of those kind of people like me who needs to have everything you know, lined up. So Paul writes in <coughs> continuing his letter in 1 Thessalonians 2, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we are like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it, as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we are orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Paul spent time with the Thessalonians, and as you read these words, you can hear that connection that he had to this church. You can hear that deep care. And yet, Paul, in his approach to sharing the gospel with this, the church there in Thessalonica, he, he knew that in sharing Jesus, he needed to do more than just bring words to them. And he needed to make sure that um, he shared his life in part as well. If we want to share Jesus with someone, we, we probably want to consider sharing our lives with that person as well. I had a conversation with a friend recently, and we talked about how once upon a time, 
you could get into conversations about Jesus after meeting someone, you know, first, second, third time. Those days are long gone. At least they are in the world that I'm living in. Uh, you need to wait way much further down the line before you can even engage people. In fact, if you engage them too soon, I feel like that's a wall that immediately comes up with people. And they automatically say, ooh, you're one of those Christian types who I need to stay away from you. Again, not being ashamed of the gospel, but knowing that there's work that needs to be done relationally with people in order for them to hear it. Paul understood that. People know when we're being sincere, when we're being genuine or not. And if, if we look at people and they're simply just a notch on our belt or a means to fill seats on a Sunday morning, we'd better go back and reassess how we're looking at people. We need to go back and say, do I really care and love for them or do I just love my church and want to put people in chairs and I don't necessarily care about the people who are actually sitting in there. Paul understood this, and he had a posture that he and his friends took in sharing the gospel with the Thessalonians. And based on that, we, we can make a list of what they didn't do when they shared Jesus. First of all, they didn't have impure motives. Like, they didn't have these selfish reasons for pursuing people. They weren't trying to trick people either. You know, one of the things that has frustrated me so much that I've seen time and time again is that churches act like uh, a, a timeshare like spiel where they'll say, hey, come in here, we'll give you this, but you need to sit through our lesson about Jesus first. And I'm like, that Jesus becomes transactional when we do that. And Jesus is so much more than just a transaction for us. At least he should be. Are we doing it to please people as well? In, in our culture, which, which dumbs down things and which um, makes things easier, like following Jesus is not easy. And if we change the gospel message as anything less than what we see in Scripture, then we're doing it just to please people. And Paul said, no, that's not the way that I'm presenting the gospel. And he said he wasn't doing it to earn people's praise. I wonder if the church can always say that these are the motives with which we share Jesus. That we can say that we do it uh, without impure motive. We do it without trying to trick people, without trying to please people, without trying to gain praise from them. What's our motivation for sharing Jesus with people? And again, there's a tension here because I think we swing pendulums really hard one way and the other. So we're like, well, I don't want to be impure. I don't want to trick people. So I'm just not going to do it at all. That's not the answer. So if you're sitting there reading that and saying, okay, well, that gives me an out. I'm good. I don't have to share. That, that's not what Paul was saying here either. He, he was saying that these aren't the ways that we should share Jesus with people. We shouldn't try to entice people. We shouldn't pull a bait and switch on them either and say, hey, come in here, and then all of a sudden we're going to sneak Jesus into you. Jesus should be evident in what we do and how we interact with people, 
But like I said, it shouldn't be a marketing ploy. It shouldn't be a, a timeshare spiel. And we shouldn't be trying to trick them into believing. Instead, Paul says, hey, here's how we should share. He says, we shared as those approved by God. Now, look, hey, if you've spent any time in the church, you know that there are people who like, they swag that around, right? Like, hey, I'm approved by God. Look at me. Like, that's not what Paul was saying here. I, I think what Paul is saying here is that we should have confidence because God has approved us. Not that we should be arrogant because God has approved us, but we should have confidence that God's approved us to be his ambassadors. Think about what that means. That we have the privilege to be able to take this message, this life-changing message of Jesus Christ, to people who are desperately in need of that. Not with an arrogance to say, hey, look at me, but saying, wow, God chose like this screwed up, broken, imperfect person like me and approved me to be his advocate, his ambassador in this world. <laughs> if you think about it like that, that's not something that like will beef up your pride, that's something that hopefully will humble you. And Paul also says that they shared Jesus as those entrusted with the gospel. So we're stewards of what's been given to us. And one of the most powerful parables that I find myself going back to over and over again is the parable of the talents, where the, the, the landowner, he, he gave three talents to, uh, five talents to one, three talents to another, and one talent to another, and, and said, hey, multiply them. And, and when he came back, they all showed what they did or didn't do. I think being entrusted with the gospel is the same thing. We have a duty and a responsibility, and we're, we are uh, stewards of what's been given to us. And then finally, they did share Jesus to please God, which again is hard. And, and, and again, I, I, because this is the way that I think all the time, I think we can easily swing the pendulum hard one way or another. And we can say, well, I'm just pleasing God, so it doesn't matter if you don't like it. or Don't take that approach either. You know, we need to be sensitive, but we also need to understand that, that some people will reject that. And will reject us in the process. That's what happened as Paul's writing this letter to the Thessalonians. He knows that they've been rejected, even rejected by their own family. And Paul's reminding them, hey, I know the suffering. I know the torment that you've been through. I know that you've lost relationships in this. Remember that you're just doing this to please God. And that's going to be hard. It's going to be costly. It's going to be painful. But that's what you need to do. Our motives matter. And it can be easy for us to let them become tainted. I think sometimes we unintentionally will have our motives tainted. That's why I think God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can discern what our, what our motives are in things. If we want to share people, share Jesus with people, the number one ingredient that we need is love. If we want to share Jesus with people, the number one ingredient that we need is love. And I think, especially in our culture today, we need to remember that. You know, there's so much swirling around in the world that is the antithesis of love. 
And the message of Jesus, yes, there's a message of forgiveness and repentance. There's a message of confession and, and having to, to come and bring our brokenness and our sin before Him. Absolutely. But because of His love, He made the first step towards us. And He makes a way for us to be able to do that. If love is missing, our motives will be wrong. And if that's missing, then people will see that. It'll be so evident to them. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says that he and his companions, they cared deeply. And he says, like a nursing mother cares for her children. You know, whether you've been a, a parent or not, you n probably can feel that a little bit in you about what that means. Whether it's a nursing mother or a mother who's holding that child close, you know the protection that's there. I mean, Paul's using this analogy, and the Greek word that he uses, it may be more adequately translated as warmed or cherished. You think about that. To just hold something that cherished, knowing it's so close that they can feel the warmth. It's almost like they're one. And when Paul uses this language, it indicates true love. It indicates care. It indicates intimacy. Do you have friends like that in your life? Do you have people in your life that you care that deeply for and that they care equally as deep for you? Paul says that that's the depth of love and care that he and his companions have for the Th Thessalonians. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that is a high standard. Like, if you're looking to your pastor to be the guy who's going to love and care for you that way, um, I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going you're gonna to be disappointed. <laughs> like, I am not Mr. Touchy-Feely like that. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, if, if Paul's setting the standard for that, that everyone feels like that deeply cared. But yet, at the same time, like, I was just driving yesterday, and I, I, I was a witness to an accident yesterday, and I'm like, something's happening in my heart. I feel like the Grinch, you know, my heart is is like growing five sizes that day because I, I felt such compassion for the people in this accident. I pulled over. I had to write up a statement since I was a witness, but I was like, <clears throat> as they're carting away the, the woman in, um, in the ambulance and stuff, I was like, ah, oh, man. And I stopped and I prayed because I felt compassion. But the John of like five or ten years ago would not have done that. I would have been like, really? An accident in front of me? <sighs> Now I'm going to be late. And I'm like, but see, that's what God does to us. If we really give ourselves over, then we're different than we used to be. People who know me know, like, I knew that John. Like, I knew that guy. He wouldn't have pulled over. And that's not me. That's God in me. And Paul, I think, is showing himself to, to the people around him. You know, let me be vulnerable here for a minute. Like whether you're watching online, whether you're here in person or not, I, I say this for the sake of you and for the sake of any pastor of a church that you'll ever be a part of. I, I feel so deeply what Paul says here. Um, you know, some people who, who don't hide emotions well like yours truly, um, it's very evident what we're, I, I have a very bad poker face. 
Like, you know what I'm thinking before. I have a child who shall remain nameless, who sees my body language, and they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I can't hide it. And yet, that compassion, that feeling, you know, it's funny because when, and and again, this this isn't a threat to anyone that, hey, don't ever leave the church, but just know that, like, your pastor probably feels that deeply. You know, when people have said, hey, just want to let you know, we're not going to be here anymore. Like, I'm an Enneagram 8, so the first thing I do is get angry, because that's what I do all the time. And then I have to dig a little bit deeper to say what's really behind that anger, because it's not usually anger. Anger is just a symptom of a, a deeper feeling. But like pastors, those who who put their lives, who pour their lives into their congregations, which I highly recommend, but it's painful stuff. Because you feel deeply when your people hurt. You feel deeply when uh, they're joyful as well. And you rejoice with them. And Paul said that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it should be because we're not just sharing Jesus. We're sharing life together. We're sharing ourselves and that's what his recommendation is. That's what it looks like when we share our lives together. And look, I'm not going to sit here and, and like, you know, paint rainbows and candy canes and unicorns to say that sharing life together is, is a wonderful, easy, perfect thing. Like, sometimes it sucks. I mean, one of our values here at the branch is that life is messy. We need grace. Like, I'm telling you right now, I, if I haven't already, I will fail you. But the beauty of relationships and caring deeply for one another is that, like it says in Scripture, love covers over a multitude of sins. Not so that we can intentionally say, hey, I'm going to screw you over. Ha, 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 no. So that when we inevitably live into that brokenness of who we are, we can know that, hey, there's still grace and forgiveness on the other side of that. And one of the things I've thought about a lot lately in terms of relationships is is what um, Edward Hall, a sociologist, called proxemics. That in, in the midst of our lives, we all interact with one another in these four different spaces of belonging where we find connection. We find connection in public space, in large spaces. We, we find it in social space. And then social space and public space are like speed dating places for us. Because then we decide whether we want to let people into our personal space or not and connect with them there, and even more so, whether we're willing to trust them with our intimate space. And one of the things that I want for us as a community of the branch to do is to find those spaces and say, hey, how am I connecting with one another? All of us need to connect in all four of these spaces Not all of us will connect as meaningfully with everyone in all of these spaces. And so, are we willing to give our lives? One of the things that we're going to try this fall is is something that I'm calling around the table, where where we can come together around a meal together. 
I've quoted Michael Frost multiple times where he says that the table is the great equalizer. You know, some of us, we know what that means in more ways than one. Some of us aren't crazy about the table because it brings us together looking eye to eye with one another. And on Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's not always a good thing, especially when you include politics and other things like that. But are we, we can explore together this idea of connecting with one another around a table and say, hey, who, who am I finding connection with? And can I go deeper? Can I move past some of these spaces? Can I move to more personal space and even intimate space with people? Can we find people with whom we will share our lives? And again, in, in a group of 30 plus, uh, we're not going to have deep personal and intimate connections with every single person. So if that's your metric, if that's what you're shooting for, uh, I'm going to burst that balloon right now. Um, But that doesn't mean you don't look for those connections. You don't look for those personal and deep connections. One of the challenges that I've experienced in my own life around this is my own immaturity and my own need to grow. That because of the way that I am, and I can be stubborn, I can be selfish, I can be unkind that I will avoid making meaningful connections because of what that feels like. Because I know that like, it can be painful. It, it, can, it can hurt. It means that I'm giving something. So while we won't share our lives with everyone, we need to share our lives and care deeply for people in order to, for them to see the love of Christ in us. And again, I think that we're going to connect with some people much differently than we'll connect with all people. That's okay. But all of us need to connect with someone. And Paul shows how deeply he connected with them because the last phrase that he says here, he says, you are our glory and joy. You know, I'm moving, I'm growing to that place where I look out and I see the community that is the branch and I say, you are my glory, you are my joy. You are my trophies of grace that I say, I will pour my life into you. But it better be a mutual thing. (laughs) Like, don't ask me to, to give a crap about you and don't give a crap about me. All right, is that fair? Deal, right? but when we start looking at other people and saying, you're my glory, you're my joy, all of a sudden we change our metric. And we say that people are the metric by which I measure success. The depth of my relationship, the depth of my care, the depth of my sharing of my life is how I measure how I'm doing. Yeah, one of the most frustrating things, not just for planters, but probably for pastors ever, is like, it's like when we see each other, we're like, hey, how you doing? Knowing full well that if you're walking past someone, you cannot give a full answer there, right? Like, just because I'm an instigator, sometimes I just want to mess with people and be like, actually, I'm not doing well at all. And they just keep walking and they're like, you know, but like, we ask questions in our, in our culture often with not 
not expecting to get a true answer. And one of the questions people ask in church all the time is, so how many people do you have coming? And I'm like, oh. I'm like, is that really the metric by which we're measuring how we're doing as a church? Or are we measuring the depth of care and love that's shared between people? Are we measuring how deeply we care for one another and how we're sharing our lives with one another? Because that's a metric that I want to use. To say people are the metric by which we're measuring how we're doing. There's a whole lot of places on Sundays that are full of people who aren't cared for and aren't feeling loved. And they're not loving and caring deeply for others either. We can fill chairs till we're blue in the face. But until we're loving and caring deeply for one another, then people aren't going to see Jesus. People are just going to see it as we're trying to trick them. We've got some kind of scheme that we're trying to present to them. We need to share our lives with people in order for us to gain the, the capital to share Jesus with them. People are the metric. Are we asking ourselves how many people are connecting to each other and to Jesus? Are we seeking deeper community and in doing so creating a new metric? Because people are the metric. So what do we do with all this? What's your motive to share Jesus? That's the first question. And, and if you have a hard time sharing Jesus, I think you can ask the opposite too. Like, what's your motive for not sharing Jesus? But be honest with yourself and ask that question. And then ask the question, do I share my life with other people? Again, you know, that doesn't mean you like verbal dysentery on everybody about everything that's going on. Oh, can I tell you about this? Can I tell you about that? Oh, do you know how that person hurt me? Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that. Like, find your people. And we've talked about this before. Your hide-the-body people. Your 3 a.m. people. And latch on to them. Make sure they're latching back, though, too, right? Because that's just creepy if they're not. Right? Just warning you. Relational one, relationship 101. Like, there's got to be a mutuality there. Just in case right? And then finally, what's your metric? You know, how are you measuring things? Jesus measured very, very differently. The Bible measures very differently than the world. I mean, if Paul were to write a resume and were to apply to be pastor of a lot of churches, I don't think that they would necessarily hire him. You know, if you read his letter to the Galatians, he told them that, you know, you know what circumcision is, right? He said, go all the way, cut the whole thing off. I don't think that's very pastorly. And people are going to say, hey, like, let me, let me hire this guy. Like, he'd be an HR nightmare, <laughs> right? So, and I'm not urging us to do that, by the way, <laughs> to talk like him or whatever. But we have to look at things in the community of God, in the community of faith, in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, from a different metric than the world measures things. Because people are the metric by which we measure whether we're following what God's calling us to. And I would much rather a handful of people in chairs who feel loved and connected and deeply caring for one another 
than to have a hundred, hundreds of people who are lonely and disconnected deep inside, but they don't have the courage or the heart to tell anybody that that's the way it is. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ways that you speak to us. God, I'm grateful for Paul. I'm grateful for someone who tells it like it is and, and yet shows his heart, shows his emotions, his feelings, his compassion, shows his love for you, for the gospel, and for the people that he leads. I pray that we would become a community, yes, a community where life and faith meet, but also a community where we love you deeply, we love each other deeply, and we love the world deeply, so deeply that they say, what's wrong with you? That they want to know what's different about you that makes you love me the way that you do. So God, may that be a vision for us. Not just today, but throughout the week when we interact with people in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our communities, wherever it might be. May people see love first. May they know that we're not just trying to sell you, but we're trying to show you to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How are you sharing Jesus in your life with other people? Do they know that you care? Do they know that they mean more to you than just a notch on your belt? People are the metric and changed lives are the result. But that doesn't come when we pretend to love and care. It only comes when we care deeply enough to share our lives with one another and with them. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.